Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 198 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Sarah Thungam Matthews. And here's a bit about Sarah. She grew up between Oman and India, immigrating to the United States at 17. She's the author of the novel called All This Could Be Different, which was shortlisted for the 2022 National Book Award and the 2022 Discover Prize nominated for, and nominated for the Aspen Literary Prize. Formerly a Rana Jaffe Fellow in Fiction at the Iowa Writers' Workshop and a Margins Fellow at the Asian American Writers' Workshop, she has work in Best American Short Stories 2020 and other places. A proud product of public schools, she lives in Brooklyn, New York. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? Hey, Peter. I'm doing really well, and it's such a pleasure to be here chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure to talk to you. You were, you were saying before recording that you kind of just returned fairly recently from the paperback tour. Tell yeah. us about that. How's it feel to kind of like re rechristen the book again, you know? <laughs> That's a really lovely way of putting it. Yeah, it does feel like, you know, a sort of site, a site of return. I like rechristening um, as well as as a frame. Mostly, I just feel tremendously grateful, you know, um, because the occasion of the paperback is the one year uh, is what is being one year out for, from publication of the novel. And I just remembered this time last year mm. when I was so, so deeply anxious um, about whether the whether the book would sort of live in 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 the public in the public sphere, because the reality is it's hard at every stage. You know, it's hard. It's very hard to write a book. It's hard to, I think, get any kind of industry acceptance of the book sufficient to publish to publish it and then once it's published it's also so easy for even um good books that are like lovingly worked on by many people to just you know not persist in the public eye when it comes to like attention or accolades so I just remember being like tremendously like whole body you know anxious and um it felt really good to be able to do events and talk to people um while feeling you know present and in my body and and tremendously grateful for um all the all the luck and love that this book has seen hmm. what have you been hearing like you know recently and just overall like what are some what's some of the feedback from the readers i think that a lot of what i've been hearing is i think underlines a sense of like emotional connection um and uh, emotional connection with the maybe challenges that some of the um, characters are facing, you know, um, people will come to me and say, oh, you know, like, I really identified with Tig because I'm trying to make some stuff happen in my life that mm -hmm. goes against the grain or, you know, um, someone came up to me um, the other day at a reading and talked to me about um, having their own sort of 
painful history with um, some of the, the kinds of issues, um, particularly um, issues of like interpersonal violence that uh, Sneha, my main character, has experienced. Mm. And so I think that there's a sense um, of hearing that this book is out there connecting with people and occasionally comforting them and occasionally making them think, which is really all I could ask for. You know, it's what books have done for me time and time again, like books saved my life um, in a variety of ways and made me and are part of what made me who I am. And I think that they're a really interesting technology. Um, and so, yeah, it just feels special to realize that my, my little book is, is working in that register that many books that meant so much to me did. So cool to hear that. I'm sure it's so cool for you to hear that. And great segue into, you know, some of the books that really did shape you. What what were you reading? Um, you know, whether it was the the books, the the collections themselves, or, or just, you know, more about authors and series. Um, you know, growing up, you said between Oman and India. And, um, you know, also your relationship with language. I mean, were you monolingual English speaker? Did you speak, you know, Hindi at home? How, how did that work with language and what you were reading? Yeah, I love that question. I can start by talking a little bit about my relationship to language and English, um, just because it's something I've been uh, re revisiting myself. Um, when I started, so I, as you said, I grew up in Oman and um, I'm from India. Both my parents are, are Indian. And when I started school and I went to, in Oman and I went, I went to an Indian school, I was asked by my Hindi speaking teachers to only speak English or if I had to speak another language to speak mm -hmm. Hindi because it was a language they understood and at the time I started school I only spoke Malayalam which is my mother tongue and um, yeah I sort of kept getting in trouble for you know this this exercising of my mother tongue and I got notes sent to my parents and what have you. And at some point, one of my teachers asked if my parents would consider only speaking English at home. And they said, okay, we'll do that. Um, you know, I think that they really believed in being deferent to teachers um, and both my parents speak English. And so they did that. And over time I became more and more fluent in English and correspondingly lost my Malayalam, like lost my mother tongue. And there are all these ways in which, you know, I've been, I've been taking as an adult classes to, oh, wow. to try to get my, to get my mother tongue back. And um, there are all these ways in which is making me aware of how much my English was shaped, you know, by my Malayalam. I have a newsletter um, that I periodically write. And in one of them, I wrote about this specifically and this, this feeling that my, you know, like my English is a river that runs through like the Canyon that was first cut by my Malayalam. Like, I think mm -hmm. the, the musicality of it, it's plosives, like all, all those things I see in my, like in my prose. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think that, you know, in terms of influence, like my, um, the things that I read as a young person were, I think, very much shaped by the place that I was in, um, because what was primarily available to me um, were books like Enid Blyton, um, you know, or or Nancy Drew, what have you. I think that the, I, I lived in like a not just secondary, but like a tertiary book market, you know, mm -hmm. and so I often got books years late, only paperbacks like and there were just 
there were no public libraries at the time and there were a limited number of bookstores. Um, and so I just, as a child, I just read every single thing I could, you know, I would go to relatives houses and like read their like medical textbooks. I read the cornflake, cornflakes box. Like it just, it just really mattered to me to read every single thing I could. Um, and I, to this day, I don't know where that came from, but it existed. I think the first book that like really did something to me, at, like, you know, in, in a way that feels adult was The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. It just, mm -hmm. I read it um, in my mid-teens and it, and I read it specifically because um, my mother had a copy and she had hid it away um, in, um, you know, one of her cupboards along with the other books that she like deemed like adult, um, like too adult for her daughters, mm -hmm. you know, for reasons of violence or sex or what have you. And so I read The Blue Sky probably a little younger than I should have. And I just felt profoundly, profoundly rearranged as like, I think I was like either like 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I, I don't know. I felt like I had been like obliterated by this mm -hmm. book, you know, um, it's language, the way that it made arguments, um, but more importantly than make, make, make an argument sort of like, animated and dramatized a question. Mm. So I think that that feeling of being rearranged came with Toni Morrison and the Bluest Eye. It came with The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy, who is um, from like a similar part of India that I am from. And um, it came reading The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot a little later, like a few years later. Um, and then, yeah, I think it sort of came from a lot of work that I, like, including some poetry, like it came, that that feeling of influence of like rearrangement mm -hmm. I felt with like Adrian Rich's poems, for example. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are some of the, the early works that I don't even know if I can accurately call them influences in trackable ways. It just feels like they made me, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, and I am the source of my own writing. But a book that felt like it was absolutely an influence for All This Could Be Different in a way, um, a sort of like possibility model gave me the keys to do some of the craft things I felt um, like, like I didn't know how to do until reading it was Lucy by Jamaica Kincaid. Uh -huh. Yeah, so love that book. And I read it at the time when I was like first starting to write All This Could Be Different in earnest. Okay, wow. I, I haven't read Lucy. I've heard a lot of Jamaica Kincaid in recent episodes. I mean... Now, obviously, girl is one that's. Yeah. I feel like I'm. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm basic to say girl, but like you know, that one's just. I'm basic. Girl is right? amazing. Oh my gosh! And uh, you know, you know, you know, she's a great writer on just like gardening and right and nature, and she does. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I've started gardening recently. Um, in a community, I have like a plot in a community garden in New York, and so it has been of additional interest to me to read Kate's yes. writing on on gardening and what it means. Yes. Have you by any chance read, um, you know, you know, E.B. White, who wrote Charlotte's Web? Yeah. You by any chance read um, her, her, his wife, and I hate, Catherine White wrote uh, beautifully about gardening as well. No, I haven't. Yeah. I'll have, I'll have to check her out. I'll send it along to you. There's, there's this, he, he writes the introduction to her gardening piece, and it's one, like the last paragraph is just in incredible, incredible. But you're talking about Nancy Drew. I saw recently there's, I guess there's a TV series. 
really <laughs> and they're they're showing something it was on social media and there was this incredibly scary creature that i guess is like considered like a sin eater i don't know if you're familiar with the, that idea it's all hazy to me oh my gosh but yeah anyways I, I didn't think of nancy drew as necessarily scary and freaky but uh i think <laughs> the tv show was going that way <laughs> oh, that's interesting so they're going like a horror direction i guess I guess I, I, the creature looks like uh, I can't even describe. Uh, anyways, wham. when you talk about like the, the, you know, the secondary tertiary, like, like book market, like were you, you were in some ways getting what you could get right in those earlier days, right? When you were 13, 15, did you feel like when you read like the blues eye, when you read Roy, was it like, oh man, this is what I've been looking for. Was it something like, like a representation idea that you maybe couldn't have put words to before, or was that something that didn't necessarily come into into the picture just like good good writing is good writing yeah i think i think if i'm being honest i didn't approach it in a cerebral way you know i just had this feeling of like oh this is good food you know this is mm -hmm. this is this is the real deal mm -hmm. and i didn't really have a lot of language for what separate like if you asked me what separated you know i don't know erin the theroy from enid blyton mm -hmm. i don't know that i could have said anything beyond at that age beyond like I like it better and more mm -hmm. um and I I think as I grew older I realized and, and was and was trying to do more of my own writing mm -hmm. I began to think about like what separated the like writing that entertains and occupies us you know mm -hmm. with writing that tries to do something more you know whether that's mm -hmm. something and I'm really open to what that something more is or can be you know like mm -hmm. writing that tries to like capture consciousness writing that tries to like make certain kinds of arguments writing that attempts to like make new a form um mm -hmm. but I think I respond to like ambition in in writing and um and a, a certain kind of like aiming high and deep hmm. kind of the tagline for the podcast is just the idea of like the visceral the the visceral you know beauty of of reading of literature and yeah, I think those first books you read, right? You're just like, oh man, you maybe can't explain why or how you love them, but you know that you do. And I think, like you said, the cerebral comes in later, right? The an analysis and such. Totally. And I'm really interested in the sort of like moment of like, yeah, the moment of the chill, like the moment of like, mm -hmm. sounds, like, like the like electric, like moment of like connection or wonder that is so rare. Um, but is the sort of like the the first high that I am always trying to recapture yes. and interest and, and recapture as a reader, but also, you know, more like attempt to bottle as a writer for other people. And it's interesting. It um, was something I thought a lot about writing this book in moments when I found myself in my drafting, like steering towards like a cleverness, for example, you know, like in like particularly in some like the moments of dialogue between characters or what have you. And it was sort of an intentional choice, I think, for me to try to not get super academic, you know, throughout. I really wanted everything as much as possible in this book to, to be felt. Hmm. Uh, before it was like intellectualized well you succeeded national book award finalist right <laughs> you definitely succeeded that's, that's very kind <laughs> so how about you know in 2023 i mean who are you reading as you're part of that that scene for sure now like who are you reading that are 
you know, kind of colleagues, so to speak, or, or maybe not at all, maybe don't write anything similar to what you do, but just that challenge you, inspire you, you know, you're like, oh, I can't wait for the next insert oh. author here, you know? There, there's so many people. I am really excited for, I'll, I'll just name a few authors and yeah. books um, at, at, at random, because they're, again, like, it feels very cool and lucky to be writing alongside, like, a large cohort of people doing like cool and interesting things. Si mm. um, Pang Zhang is a friend of mine and a brilliant writer. And she has um, a book coming out soon called Land of Milk and Honey. And it's super interesting. You know, it's about like pleasure and apocalypse and like, what does it mean to follow your desire wherever it takes you? Um, it's also about food. And she writes very, very, very beautifully about food. Um, I think that. Isle McElroy has a book coming out called People Collide. And it's this fascinating, you know, so, sort of story as a marriage um, told through uh, body swap. Um, mm. So it's like, you know, it plays with gender. It plays with, I think, the like porosity of what it means to be a person. Mm. Um, so those are those are two that come to mind. And then uh, I'm going to very quickly look behind me to see, see what else. See what else has been going on. Mobility by Lydia Kiesling. I just finished uh-huh. that and it's so good. It just came out like a couple of days ago. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I actually like, I think Lydia is somebody who um, I just, I think reading her, like reading her first book, The Golden State, um, made me realize something that I don't think I realized. I don't know if I would have realized it not reading a contemporary novelist Mm -hmm. but I sort of realized for myself that like there's so many ways to do a novel which is one of the this is one of the things that's like slippery and weird about a form and really what you need to do is set as a novelist you need to sort of like set up a universe with its own like proprietary physics Mm -hmm. uh, in the first like 20 pages or 30 pages um, and it's really up to you what you want that physics to be. You know, you have to like execute it and um, make the reader under like sense the physics mm-hmm. of it. And then you just have to make the novel work on its own terms. You don't have to make it work on the terms of another another person's novel. And that just felt like such a simple insight, but it felt like this like mm-hmm. profound epiphany. Mm-hmm. And Lydia Kiesling is someone who, in my experience, like, like delivers on the physics of our own novels in a way that I like, you know, um, I don't actually feel like I'm hundred percent of the way there, you know, and something that I hope to, to sort of like, yeah, do and do and emulate more. Wow. The physics are very interesting. I want to, I've definitely been, would love to have C Pam on. I, I want to say she's from my area, California, Northern California. Am I off on that? Um, yeah. I think, I think, I think she has roots there for sure. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I've heard great things for sure. Well, thank you for that. I know there are many people that you can mention as there are books in back of you. It's always <laughs> cool to hear a few, you know. I know, you know, you're not purposely leaving anybody out. It's just a few that come to mind. And, of course. You know. Not super. I mean, like, I guess somewhat recent, but two more names that come to mind. Just like, like, I loved um, Homeland Elegies by Aya Dakar. Like, I thought it was just mm. so brilliant, you know, like brilliant and interesting. And I love the Netanyahu's by Joshua Cohen which is interesting I was going to say like no one I read that I read the book a couple of months ago and had this distinct feeling of like where has this where, like why did I not hear anything about this book and then I looked it up and saw that it had won the Pulitzer a couple of years ago and I was like okay clearly someone was talking about this book and I just 
it just wasn't on my radar. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting because, you know, something that's happening more and more. Whereas if you're a writer and your book happens to publish on a, like during a turbulent time in the larger world, I think it can become harder for people to hear about your book because current events can like drown it out, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, and sometimes that's not the case. Like Jonathan Franzen famously like published the corrections on 9-11 or what have you. But mm. I think for many of us, um, I know that it can be, you know, there, there can be the sense of like, oh, wow, I published a novel and like mm-hmm. a global pandemic has started to rage across right, the country. Right, right, right. Wow. Did, did Franzen literally publish on 9-11? I think so. I think it oh like dropped. Wow. I have that book. It has not been read. I have that book on my, in my bookshelf. Wow. That's amazing. Getting it's all great. the trivia. Thank you, Sarah. Getting all the trivia yeah. here. All right, man. You talked about, you know, creating your own physics. All this could be different. came out in 2022. Is that correct? 2021. 2022. The August of 2022. August of 2020. Of course, you just said, talked about the year anniversary. Pardon me. I'm just, I'm just amazed at how much has happened in the year with the National Book Award and all that. I wonder about some seeds for the book. Was it a, a book you've been working on for six, seven years? Was it something you wrote mainly in, in lockdown? Um, yeah. I, just, yeah, I just wonder some of the seeds for it. Yeah, I mean, I think I have come to believe that like every book is like, it can work on you for like, there's a, there's a period of time where it's like working on you in some form, you know, and that can be for years. And then there's this sort of like, period from writing like writing the first page to writing the last page and getting it sold and I the latter period was mostly like exclusively in in the year of 2020 you know I wrote it over a number of months um during a inside rearranging time in my life you know in 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 2020 I like was very depressed at the beginning of the year, having worked on another novel for seven and a half years Mm. um, that I decided was not working and that I needed to sort of put aside. And that was a novel I had worked on, you know, for years writing at night during my day job. Um, It was a novel that I worked on throughout my MFA program. Um, Once I decided to go to an MFA program to, Mm. to sort of finish it and sell it. And um, it felt very painful to, you know, to let it go and also some face some facts, you know, that I hadn't had was not making enough money to like live the kind of life, like a life of like basic comfort in New York City, where I had recently moved, like, there was a lot that was not going well at the beginning of the year. And then a few things happened, I decided to put put that novel away, I decided to sort of like work on my own healing, you know, I just went from not doing very well to doing better, mostly through the care and interventions of my loved ones, family, friends, etc. And I also, like many, like many of us was contending with COVID-19, the global pandemic that was reordering everything Mm. and had in the middle of March, you know, just seemed like it was just about to like break onto the shores of New York City. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of 2020 working within this mutual aid network called Bed-Stuy Strong that I founded. Um, And I founded it because I was panicked that, um, you know, that people wouldn't have what they needed to survive, Um, you know, around food, around um, medicine, what have you, if we entered a sort of lockdown situation, like the kind I had been reading about in Italy or Wuhan or what have you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that this, 
I think that watching the mechanisms of, you know, thousands, literally thousands of ordinary people coming together and taking care of each other mm -hmm. um, through a series of like really simple systems that we set up um, provided both seeds and fertilizer for all this could be different. I think mm -hmm. that I had had 10 pages of what I thought would be a long short story titled mm -hmm. Milwaukee um, before this. And so I, and I thought it was going to be this sort of like disaffected millennial story of work, you know, of this like young corporate drone mm. with this like hot queer romance threaded through. <laughs> but then when I paid more attention to the voice, you know, that uh, within within the um, prose I had generated, I just thought I got this all wrong. This is not somebody who is actually cool or disaffected. This is somebody who cares so deeply, you know, feels so deeply and mm. Um, for whatever reason, has this inability um, of exteriorizing, um, you know, her care, like her her pain, her longing, you know, her desire for connection, her desire mm. to be loved. And I think that over time, I decided that I wanted um, to write a, you know, so-called millennial novel, aka, you know, novel of like young people finding their way, a young person finding her way. Sure. Um an immigrant novel in in as much as I wanted to sort of like tell the story of like someone a young immigrant like finding home and locating it mm -hmm. um you know somehow um and I wasn't sure at the beginning of the novel how um that home would be located and yeah I I think more than anything I felt this deep desire to write something that captured the sort of interactions I was seeing every day in my life especially at that point that involves people trying to care for each other not in holier than thou ways and in, in, in ways that were reminiscent of a certain ordinary like robust like muscular goodness you know um, that came from like real people and flawed people and so I think those were the seeds of all this could be different. Mm. Thank you for that. I mean, we'll we'll talk we'll talk a little bit later about the about the communities that are formed in the book. Thank you for doing what you've done with the the mutual aid society. I mean, it it brings you to almost brings you to tears thinking about. You know, I know I can't even imagine in New York. I mean, I know at the worst of it, the height of it, you know, just the horrific nature. You, you know, I'm talking about hearing all the sirens and just about how much we failed as a country as as not taking care of people, not taking care of the most vulnerable. And that's only three years on. And it's like, we ha we really have, haven't dealt with that, have we? We haven't taken stock of what went wrong. And I don't know that we will on a great scale. I don't know that we will either, you know? I mean, that's that's it's whole, a whole other conversation. Sure. Um, I think that what feels really challenging to convey at times is like the degree to which I don't feel responsible for Bedstead Strongly. I, I you know, I was founder slash like member zero mm -hmm. um, but everything that was accomplished was accomplished through a we you know it was accomplished by this like leaderful you know group of people who it just did a lot you know while asking for 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 very very little mm -hmm. or, or let me rephrase this leaderful group of people that I think just worked in a variety of ways that went against all the messages that I had gotten my entire life about like what makes people do anything yeah. um you know like living living in capitalism as we do right like and it it really was a 
moment, I don't know, it's like moment of like true epiphany for me where I realized it's, you know, it's not, not something trite about like people are good at heart or what have you. Mm. It is that we are hardwired in some ways to care for each other um, mm. and to, if given the opportunity, build things that serve us better um than some of our current systems under racial capitalism and so mm. yeah that felt very much like part of the um soil in which the book grew if that made sense yeah. I, I was interested in like trying to find ways while working in the mode of like realist fiction um yeah. and uh not writing something that was like you know so sweet it hurt your teeth um <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in in capturing that like what what would it mean you know to to try to capture that kind of movement a, a gesture between people yeah well I, i'm sure you've got some poems in you. you've already written some poems because you got the metaphor flowing today <laughs> seeds and fertilizer and yes i love it <laughs> the storyline starts quote at a different time when sneha am i saying that correctly yeah sneha right sneha who off who you know is, is kind of s you know the initial s for a while before we learn her full name um you know she's when she was 22 so there's some sort of flashback looking back from the author kind of a almost in an omniscient way and then we have so sneha or s has this client you know right off the bat you know this is around the time that this is when Obama got his second um, term, 2012 or so. You got She's got a client who's Fortune 500. The client loves S, calls her a rock star. Quote, I'm honored to work with you. And this idea of hope, you know, that came from um, Barack Obama's second election, but also the economy was still, was sputtering to say the least, you know, from the Great Recession and all that. Um, I wonder about setting it in that time. And... Um, you know, it's not that far back, but like how you were able to get perspective, you know, it's not like it was 30 years ago and you have more of a, a, a wide view. Yeah, kind of why that, that period of time and how you accomplish that perspective. Yeah, it mattered a lot to me to not try to locate something that I wrote in the two recent presents. Like I wasn't interested in like writing something set in 2020, for example. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to have perspective um, on, on the time, but also on my character at a certain point in my life like I wanted that angle of retrospection mm. and I thought you know I was writing this book in my late 20s um and I thought I there's a lot I don't understand about this moment in my life um and that feels like something else still being written but I do feel like I have perspective on me and my friends in our early 20s and so that really informed the choice you know um I I don't know that I thought, oh, let me write something that's like late Obama era, um, as much as I thought, here is an age that I feel like I can write about, mm -hmm. um, which is early 20s, right out of college, which to me is just like a fruitful and interesting and challenging life, a challenging time of life for so mm -hmm. many people. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, you know, it's spelled T-H-O-M, short for Thomas. I mean, I assume it's pronounced Tom or is it, it's not pronounced Thom, is it? Her friend? It's pronounced Tom, yeah. Okay, good. So I thought, you know, very British, I guess, maybe. So Tom, <laughs> Tom is like, you know, treats S like, you know, one of the boys, you know, says like, what's up, my dude? What's up, my, you know, my homie, like so many bros, more, bro <laughs> more bros than I hear on my kids' YouTube, you know, YouTubers, like it's just bro, 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 this, bro, that. It's mostly 
all good. You know, it's obviously there could be something there about treating her like, you know, one of the guys could be seen as a negative, but it's mostly all good, right? Between them, but we'll see how the relationship changes as the book goes on. So Sneha is is exploring the town and the town being Milwaukee. So she, you know, she's 23, 24, and she's, you know, how do how do I get women? There's one that she there's a one woman that she calls Pulp Fiction because I think she's wearing the Pulp Fiction shirt, maybe, right? <laughs> she and has like a fiction like haircut. Right, right, right. Like like Uma Thurman? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And, you know, just kind of like, you know, you talk about how to see the world, how to see herself. There's a huge pivot point, huge pivot point. And that's when she finds out that her uncle back in India has passed away. Cirrhosis of the liver, you know, talked about earlier about the story not being so like, you know, saccharine sweet. And that's not exactly what it is here. But it's like, I can see that this book becomes like a either like revenge, revenging her, avenging herself of, of what her uncle did to her or you know, like a feel good story, but basically it's a pivot point in that he, we, we find out as the book goes on, he sexually abused her. Right. And you know, his mom, her mom is just like, you're, you're not coming back. You're not expressing your condolences. And he treated her like crap too. Right. Meaning he treated his sister like crap. I just wonder about like how there's not a lot of detail necessarily about what happened and about that time in her life for some obvious reasons, I would think, but like about how much that really is like a pivot point for the whole, like her whole life, her whole story about the time about the sexual abuse. Yeah. I think that there is a way in which I conceived of Sneha as a fairly masculine character, you know, I think affectively, I think that's part of the reason why she connects with Tom. She sees them as similar, even though someone meeting each of them for the first time would not see them as similar. I think that there's a degree of like both desire and like affiliation that she Mm -hmm. feels um, when she is around someone like Tom, who is sensitive, intelligent, and like does not wish to be feminine, um, which like, especially affectively. um, And Mm -hmm. by, by that, I mean, does not wish to be like soft vulnerable letting their like underbellies be exposed and I think for Tom that has to do with you know the training that almost every man receives in how to be a man Hmm. and I think for Sneha it has to do with many things including growing up under patriarchy and the way in which like that formed her but maybe most importantly and most painfully as a rejection of the like soft like needy little girl that she was Mm -hmm. um and was at the time of her uncle beginning to like target her Mm -hmm. and it mattered to me to um try to write someone who had a traumatic past in a way that was sensitive in a way that respected frankly like her own desires to not be um framed primarily as victim like I think Sneha is a little bit like like yeah whatever it happens like who cares like let's move Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. you know um I think that there's like a shruggy and compartmentalizing quality to how Mm -hmm. um to how she approaches it and I, I think she would bristle greatly at anyone spending more than like a minute talking about it. So part of me is, is loath to, but on a holy crafts level, I was trying to figure out 
among other things, right? I was trying to figure out what is this young woman's relationship to mm-hmm. her place of origin? You know, why is it? Because so much of this is about how, so much of the novel is about like how she wants to live, the life she's constructing for herself. Right. And given that she has, you know, parents back in India um, and a, not an easy life in the US um, in moments and a lot of anxiety about immigration and visas and what have you, mm-hmm. I was forced to ask the question before, ask myself the question before a reader did of like, why can't she just go back? You know, like, mm-hmm. like she's Indian, like, like that is her home too. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that reading Lucy gave me, I think the partial inspiration to Mm. allow my main character to have like a really charged relationship with her place of origin where you know she is not trying to return and she's not trying to return because in part because she associates her hometown and her place of origin with this extremely painful like 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 chapter in her life yeah she wants to move forward and forward for her means America and like a kind of comfortable like petty bourgeois like future. Sure. Sure. Thank you for that. Earlier on in the book, she meets Marina online, right? I think they meet online. Yes. Marina's from Jersey. You know, she kinda like that stereotypical, like tough, like tough from Jersey. And they Sneha is really transfixed for sure. And, you know, their relationship, you know, un- unfurls fairly slowly as we go on. Before we get more into that, I'd love to ta- ask you about just Milwaukee. Like you write about like the, the quote, post-war decline that come from the narrator, vitamin U and kind of some some Amy's and some Karen's, you know what I mean? The Amy's what the landlord? Uh, the property like, manager. The property manager, excuse me, right? And, you know, she definitely, be- maybe before Karen was a household word, she's a Karen to say the least, <laughs> but... But Milwaukee, like, you know, I don't necessarily know that much about it. I don't think a lot of America does. You talk about playing with some some of the ideas of like flyover country and that kind of thing throughout the book. But it's got a it's got a, a reputation, you know, it's got its history too of of unions and and progressive politics. I know it's very much like a a portrait of like white flight, I want to say, right? Like the city itself. I know it's one of I think they've said it's the most segregated big city in the, in the states. So just really interesting with a lot of cool history, with a lot of painful history. I wonder about Milwaukee and how important places could it have could it have taken place in Des Moines, Iowa or, you know, Denver, Colorado? Why did it have to be Milwaukee, I guess? I mean, I think it could have taken place in Des Moines or Cedar mm-hmm. Rapids or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew in my bones that this was a not this was not a story set in like some big East or West Coast city. Okay. Um, I think. I knew Milwaukee in the way that I needed to know a certain mm-hmm. city. You know, I have spent a little bit of time in Denver, Colorado, but I've never lived there. <laughs> um, so I think there's a degree to which like there was just a facility in choosing Milwaukee. But if you ask me, you know, like why Milwaukee, why not Madison? Why not, you know, mm-hmm. like Iowa city, like others, other um, Midwestern cities that I've spent some time in, it has everything to do with the, um, nature of Milwaukee itself and its history. I was interested in writing a story, right, that ends up being like a group portrait of this multiracial group of young people um, who come, who you know, come together largely by accident and then try to like make something happen together that mm-hmm. is both like small and humble 
and radical. Um, yeah, it yeah. works against, you know, s- the s- systems and received wisdom we're given. And I just felt interested in trying to honestly portray what that could look like um, with specific people, you know, specific characters, because none of us, I believe, should like can or should ever like try to like represent our, you know, like the groups that we, um, you know, are part of identity wise. Like, I don't see Sneha as a representative of all South Asians. I don't see like mm-hmm. as a representative um, for, you know, like your average like black person in Milwaukee. And in many ways, like they they just aren't. They're extremely specific sure. um, and shaped by their own personal histories. But yeah, I felt interested in depicting Sneha, this young, relatively apolitical, you know, like person um slowly acquire the kind of knowledge and awareness that we call being politicized you know like um and milwaukee seemed like a good place to do that and it also seemed like a place where given its own history of socialist government of socialist reform um for you know a 40-year period that helped change the city and make the city um i felt interested in having that sort of mirroring be present between okay here are a bunch of characters who are trying to sort of do things in an applied not non-theoretical way they're not just talking about you know politics at at the kegger they are struggling to make something real in their lives and that felt like it had a certain kind of like historic resonance with what people like emil seidel you know who supplied like one of the two epigrams um epigraphs of the novel um did okay yeah Tig, I mean, awesome name, full name is Antigone, right? Is someone who Sneha meets and, you know, they're, they're friends. She's, you know, Tig is proud queer, but they're not, they're not lovers. They're just really, really good friends. They're, they're with each other. You know, though the story doesn't take place over like, you know, many, many, many years, it's cool to see them, you know, stay together through a lot of different permutations of their lives. And you were talking about, of course, you know, Milwaukee as a home and her trying to, Sneha trying to kind of put it behind her. I don't know, maybe is it the end of the first part or the end of the second part where she goes back to India? It's um at the end of the wow, why am I having yeah. a moment of total blanking? Yeah. It's at the it's during the second part. Okay, yeah. right, right, right. It's almost like you forget, like, oh yeah, she is from there and she has a life there because you know she doesn't try to talk about it as much. There is some mention of it. She is able to compart compartmentalize and she's back home again. Her parents, especially you know, because of her dad, they were in the States for a while. And her dad really seemed to be the victim of, a, of an unfair dispute or law. And he was sent back, basically deported, right? Yeah. And so I wonder um, about her relationship with her parents. Did she feel um, wronged along with them because he, w- he was wrong so much? Does she, does she feel like, uh, you know, she's able to kind of spread her wings because she is in the country by herself? How does she feel with that relationship with her parents? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, so I think that it is very painful for a child to have their parents taken from them or their parents leave them, um, particularly in a, in a way that involves a certain kind of finality, right? I'm not talking about like, you know, like there's a divorce and so dad moves down the street. Like that's definitely yeah. very painful. But to have 
I think one of your parents suffer under the carceral system, um, particularly su suffer unfairly, which is Sneha's perception, and then be sent away. Um, and I, I think I was trying to do a couple of things there. One, I think I just was interested in letting a few people know that, that you know, there's there are many different kinds of precarity. Mm. Um, if you are um, an immigrant or a migrant, like trying to work, um, work in the U.S. And one thing that many people did not do not know um, is that if you are convicted of certain kinds of crimes, like not only are you punished, like, you know, through fines, imprisonment, what have you, you can also lose your status um, mm -hmm. to live in the U.S., aka you can lose your life as you know it, as you've been building it. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I really think that in, you know, there are so many ways in which something like that, whether it's like an incarceration or a deportation, mm -hmm. um, which are both, um, I think, acts of the carceral state, like it has ripple effects, not that don't just um, affect and like corrode the lives, life of the person to whom that's happening. It also affects their family members. Sure. Um, and Sneha is very much a product of that, you know? And so I think that she's in, in some, her relationship with her parents is one of where there's a lot of love. There's a lot of pain, you know, mm -hmm. I think that she feels um, abandoned by them at some, at some level. Um, and I think it's a, it's a sort of complicated and like multi- um, multifaceted abandonment you know I think that there are kind like there's obviously the leaving um, her in the U.S. to sort of make her own way mm -hmm. um, but I also think that there's the sort of shadows if you like pay attention to the prose um, in later moments in the books where you can see her start to almost like approach the idea that maybe she could have been better protected from her uncle you know, um, but I don't think she ever like gets quite there during the book. But I think that she feels a lot of love, a lot of pain. And this sense that her parents have sacrificed everything for her. Mm -hmm. And so she has to do right by them. And she's tremendously conflicted. And you see her working through this conflict throughout the course of the novel, because she wants to live as if her life is her own, particularly around questions of her like sexuality and her mm -hmm. desire. Um and she feels like she cannot because she feels like her life is mortgaged to the people who made it possible. Mm. Right. So you talk about her sexuality, like she she tells Tig everything, you know, including the history of her parents. And it's a whirlwind with Marina. She is, you know, totally, like I said, transfixed. They have a great relationship for you know the beginning, the honeymoon period, for sure. But she doesn't tell Marina, right? about her parents she you know engages in this absolutely bonkers act yes. that she partially stumbles into and then realizes right. you know impulsively could be convenient for her which is she says something that leads marina to misunderstand that her parents have passed away and sneha in that moment it, like truly like one of the dumbest things that she's ever done mm -hmm. is like yes Yes, that's correct. My parents are no longer with me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is her doing a couple of things in that moment. You know, she's mm -hmm. acting impulsively. She's immediately she has sabotage. I think anyone who's an adult who reads this is like, oh, you've destroyed this relationship. Like, or the possibility of it being, you know, a long-term loving, healthy relationship mm -hmm. in some meaningful ways because to lie about something so large right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I think that some some compulsive part of her 
does not wish for any relationship um, that she has to last because she knows that it's just that there's going to be, or she thinks that there's going to be some kind of like collision course that happens with her and her parents. And so she thinks it's much safer to sort of have these like short flings. So she's sabotaging. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. The short fling you talk about, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's a heat there between Marina and Sneha. There's love there to share interests. They very, very, fairly soon on, you know, she's living with Marina more or less, not officially because she has this terrible situation with, with the housing that has been provided by the work place. And I believe it was Marina who said at first, she's like, what would you say this is? Yeah. This being, you know, are we, are we girlfriend, you know, are we partners, are we girlfriend? Is this just a, a fling? And, you know, they don't quite, I don't think Sneha quite has the answer. What, like you said, she's probably, you know, there's, there's reasons for her to want to keep it short. Yeah, um, she's very uh, avoidant, right? right. Um, like that's like a big part of her, like, personality that, you know, is, I think, part of what I, like, you know, say as shorthand, like that's part of her like masculinity, mm. um, her particular relationship to to a slightly toxic form of it. And so, yeah, she, I think, avoids the question. You know, I think she just wants to be and continue in their relationship, which she's enjoying very much mm. um, without, I think, the sense of obligation and labels that she would feel if um, she was like, yeah, we're girlfriends. I was the readers rooting for them. They, you know, things are seeming to go great. And Marina's, you know, like like a choreographer, I guess you'd say, right? Yeah, she's like a choreographer and a Answer. ballet dance teacher. Yeah, yeah. So you know, she when that when her tour happens, that's when Neha goes to India, and you know, that's when some things fracture a bit from what was almost kind of a perfection. We talked. I talked about like the her, her boss. I believe her boss is named what a gross name, Peter. I believe, right? Yes. Ew. It's a, okay. it's a it's a it's a good name it's a Come good on. name he, actually, he, was, <laughs> he was called something else and then i decided to make him a little bit less of a character you know okay. um like he i think that in in the drafts there were like i think okay. there was like more of a relationship between sneha and him and then i was like you know what i'm actually interested in the boss as a function you know mm. because we all have bosses and so yeah. i was like what is a what is a name that i can give him um sure. that i think won't like like is a, a good solid name, but I won't necessarily for that. bells and whistles. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, good solid name. All right. Like Sarah. Right. Like Peter. <laughs> right. Sarah's a great name. The you know, this idea that, you know, eventually, you know, he you talk about he's just the boss. He's just doing his function. And while you do as a reader, you're not necessarily liking him all the time. There's part of you like, well, he's just kind of he's at the behest of the people above him. She's she, he's not yeah, but really he, getting, he owns his own he owns his own company. I I yeah. do think that's a distinction. Right, right, right. And so, you know, he's like, well, if I'm not getting paid by the client, then you're not getting paid. And it's like, well, I, I bet you probably are getting paid pretty well. The horrors continue with the apartment. You know, the apartment's free, but she's, you know, free technically, but, you know, through the through the work. And things are really not going well there. She's not getting paid, thinking, oh, I will get paid. You know, she was doing fairly well financially, but there's always that, especially like talked about with ideas of visa and all that. She's, you know. And sending money home to her parents. Yes, like exactly. supporting the households. Exactly. Which, you know, many immigrant kids do. Yeah. Amit, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, Amit. Amit. Amit, her friend. And, you know, um, they have shared values in some ways, shared culture in some ways. But he's also, uh, you know, they're they're different. And But they have this, he was, you know, her first boyfriend, I want to say, or her first main boyfriend. Yeah, her first boyfriend. Yeah. And, you know, didn't work out when she, she discovered sexuality. And But they, you know, they're still on good terms. 
So he's yeah. in he's in the mix. You know, Tom is in the mix. Um, we talked about Tig. You know, Tig has her her partner Debbie. Uh, Diana. Diana, excuse me. Let's start with D. And you know, there's the, this community that starts to build despite you know the, these issues that are happening at work for sure. Despite you know some some tiffs with Marina, to say the least. Tig has this idea of the pink house. You're talking about this idea of you know. I mean, commune has negative connotations, right? But it's it's a community space. It's a place where, you know, her philosophy can be put in touch with, you know, more practicality. Um, you know, Tom's on board. It's this idea of what what could be with community. Um, and, you know, as this happens, even, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of stopping here in the plot because I don't want to give away, you know, the, the ending and stuff. But as Sneha loses her job and, again, lies about it for a bit, there's a couple of lies that are really important. Um, this is idea, okay, right? Okay. Right? Yeah. I I am so struck by that idea, you know, especially when you talk about like Bed Stuy Strong and this idea of like, um, you know, found friends. I think it's kind of like a or found family. I think it's kind of a maybe hackneyed or whatever. But it's such a beautiful idea of like, um, and I know oftentimes in like kind of like queer communities, right? Especially if a person is not welcomed by family or cut off. There's this idea of like found family. And it's, um, you know, again, very much in like the philosophical sense of like a commune, like socialism, but it's also in a very like, you know, who's cooking today? Who's making the eggs? Mm -hmm. I wonder, was that a lot of, was a lot of that from Bed-Stuy strong? I just wonder about this idea, maybe more of like, not necessarily in the political sense, but more of like the found family, like being someone to count on for, for all of them together. Are you asking about the sort of inspiration for the pink house and the writing around I, it? I am. And I didn't ask you very artfully, I guess, I guess more like more of the found family part of it. I wonder where that came from. I get the idea of like socialism and, you know, this is a great way to, to, to work against this capitalism that's, that's choking us off so much, but just like how much she did find and, and was searching for family yeah. um, amongst these friends of hers and lovers and, and you know, the whole deal. Yeah. I think all this could be different works in a few different registers, right? Like it's it's a queer novel, it's an immigrant novel, um, but more than anything else, maybe it is a coming of age novel. Hmm. And I am interested in what it means to come of age. Um, and I felt this real deep interest in this idea of like a young person, like becoming herself through other people. Um, and I also felt like it was important to me to not position romantic love as the source of like becoming or the sole source of like becoming or certain kind of salvation in so many things with Sneha, like, you know, I, at a philosophical level was interested in this idea that, you know, if we tell ourselves that we believe that everyone deserves food, shelter, love belonging what does it mean for um someone who's troubled someone who's wounded someone who is a little bit sharper on the edges you know someone Im quite imperfect um to um to get those things and i think that following that particular train of thought led me to think of really centering friendship and not not casual friendship not just like we you know drink together at the bar um, and see each other a couple of times a month friendship but real 
deep abiding love between friends um mm. friends that like a kind of the kind of friendship that approximates as you said the love and the commitment to not abandon each other that mm. we expect in family and so that's what kept me interested you know i think that um i felt the more that i knew this character the more that i felt like she was someone for whom a certain kind of romantic success would probably only come like later in life, maybe, mm. you know, after she engaged in like certain kinds of healing um, that she may or may not engage in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did feel like she was someone with a lot of love to give and that friendship found family, as you say, mm. um, would, would, would be a safe zone and safe and teachable zone for her to like find herself. And in some ways that like mimics, you know, the role that deep friendship has played in my life. You know, I, um, it really matters to me um, and has mattered to me to take in my, my own personal life to like take friendship seriously, to take those kinds of relationships, um, you know, of like non-blood family um, seriously as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's basically what comes to mind. With the Pink House, what I'll say is I just felt interested in, you know, in going from when the pink house first shows up on the page mm-hmm. it's antigone tig um who dreams about becoming like you know in their in their words like a celebrity philosopher which is like to me yeah. I'm, it's a little mm-hmm. funny i'm like babe how many of those do you know <laughs> but their imagination sort of sparks seeing this like kind of decrepit pink mansion in shorewood in milwaukee by the lake and at first they're like i'm gonna make it big I'm going to sell a lot of books and I'm going to buy this house and fix it up. And then over the course of the novel, you see so much change primarily in Sneha because that's, you know, she's our narrator, et cetera. But I think you also see ways in which the other characters change, you know, by the middle of the book, Tig's dream of like living large in the pink mansion, you know, from having sold a lot of books has transformed into a vision of collective living. And that comes in part from this moment where they're like, oh shit, like I and the people I love, we're all having problems and they're all problems from like our, or like the materiality materiality of our lives, you know, the mm-hmm. bad bosses, bad landlords. What if we could solve for this? Mm-hmm. And it's the solving for this that I always find most interesting in politics. You know, I think that like theory um, only interests me up to a point, you know, I'm interested in like application. I am in, I'm interested in like comparative analysis of like what has worked and not worked before and Mm. I think you see that in the prose of the novel as well yes you don't play with time that much it's not like there's a million different flashbacks flash forwards but I just think it's just by doing a flash forward or flashback you just especially building these characters as you do the the reader just thinks like oh man what has happened in this time in between like they've just automatically matured or they're just automatically you know talk about the different relationships and some of them move and it's just so cool the way that the book ends with a perspective of like looking back at at these years, but also knowing that, you know, Sneha's not, it's not like she's 95 years old. She's still got a life to live. As I told you before we started recording, the the end line is one of my favorites of all time. Like I'm put it up there right now. And just the last page or so is just so incredible at how it uh, just takes again things with like a big perspective, macro and micro. And the book is worth the price of admission just for that last page never mind the fact that it's an incredible book overall and obviously deserving of that national book award nomination 
Did, did you, you know, I know you're a very humble person. Did you feel like you nailed it on that last line though? Did when you were, was it, was it something <laughs> did, did like, were you building up to that last line or was there backwards planning or was it like, you know, was it literally the last line you wrote of the book? It's, uh, it's interesting when I, um, when I was writing towards any kind of ending, I actually was writing towards uh, the second to last chapter in the novel. That's what I thought the novel okay. would end on, you know, like at, when I was writing chapter eight and chapter nine, I was like, it's going to be that moment mm. of a certain kind of like, I don't want to give it too much away, but a certain kind of retribution sure. um, that happens. And then, you know, I think it's so important as a writer to pay attention to what the page is revealing to you more than it is to like, try to like steer and captain mm. your, your characters into what you think they should do. Mm. And so, yeah, I think the last line um, and the, the sort of final scene, it came from trying to pay attention to what was actually happening on the page and what the heart, you know, um, not the head of, mm. of the novel was interested in. I did feel pretty good after I wrote the last line. It was a funny, I mean, it was a funny feeling because, you know, I wrote it and like, then I cried. Um, uh, and um, which felt um, <laughs> weirdly appropriate, I think. Mm -hmm. And I had this sense of something like being like laid to rest. I think mm. that was that was my moment of realizing I did not want to write any further, that I didn't want to sort of make more clear mm -hmm. um, any mm -hmm. kind of choice right. Snake does or doesn't make. Um, you know, I in in some ways the entirety of the novel can be read as like prologue to a mm. choice that appears for her um, on right. the last page. And um, and the reader is invited to sort of decide for themselves what choice what choice they think she takes. Exactly. Yeah, the beauty of the ending is that it's not an ending up. It's not an ending at all, yeah. right? It's not a boom, done, period, full stop. Yeah. Which is true for many of us, you know? Like our, mm -hmm. our, our lives are always ending and never ending. And, yep. and you know, I think that, this book is a hopeful book, um, but a certain kind of like earned salty. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think that the, the reality of living now for most of us and most of us who are like conscious people paying attention to the world is the reality of living under a series of catastrophes, some of which we experience, you know, um, on the news and some of which we experience ourselves. And mm -hmm. I wanted to try to gesture towards that um, and gesture towards something that I personally believe, which is like we are capable of like tremendous, tremendous endurance. Mm. Um, so yeah, mm. that's, that's, that's where it came from. I really try to go out of my way to really impress upon my students, my high school students. Books didn't stop. Books were not finished in 1940 you know people have been people are writing today as we speak right you know it was animal farm by george orwell was not the last book published or even you know, some book from the 80s or something like that so it's so cool to talk to someone like you who is in it who is you know still creating who is of the time but also classic you know you talked about that book that was put aside maybe maybe totally erased delete i don't know is is there something from that book that maybe becomes your next project? I just I'm kind of getting to what what are you working on now? If you'd like to share anything, you know, for the future future projects. Yeah, yeah I'm working on what I hope will be my second novel, and I am also working on 
um, some nonfiction right now that All is right. like sort of interesting and it's challenging me. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And I'm very excited about this this project I'm working on that I think takes some takes like a couple of the characters from that abandoned project, but sort of like does completely is interested in like completely new things because the okay. reality. And, you know, this goes to any of your students who might be interested in writing, um, as I'm sure some are, whether they admit it to you or not, mm-hmm. um, is that I think that a novel ha- like has to hold in part the things that the person who's writing it cares about the most. And as we as we move in time, those things change, right? The questions yes. that you must change and the things that um you know, informed my thinking, um, supplied me like the questions that I was preoccupied by in my like earlier mid twenties are no longer the questions I'm consumed by. So mm-hmm. it feels like a completely different project, but it also feels like those years were not wasted. They taught me right. how to write, and um, I I think there's certain like mostly characters um, and 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 sort of histories of those characters that I think I am like siphoning in. Very cool. So, you know, the book is now out in, in paperback. Tell us about, you know, any particular bookstores, you know, is, I know it's available everywhere. All this could be different, but any particular bookstores you want to shout out? Also, where to find you on social media or online? Yeah. Um, anyone who listens is so welcome to keep in touch with me online, um, on Instagram, um, on for now, though maybe not much longer, Twitter right. slash right. Oh my um, God. If you go to my website, smatthews.com, so it's smatthews, add another S, and then .com, okay. um, there's my newsletter and um, my social media, and I, I love hearing from readers and other writers and teachers mm-hmm. and what have you, so feel free to be in touch, and then um, I, sorry, Peter, I just completely forgot the second part of what you said. No problem. Just, you know, any cool bookstore, particular bookstores you want to shout oh, out. Yeah. Bye. The thing that matters the most to me is that people support their ideally local indie bookstore. Um, I'm a big fan of mine. It's the mm-hmm. word is change in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Okay. But, um, more than anything, I just think that it, it really, really matters to me that indie bookstores everywhere are not driven out of business. And like, I think the worst possible thing that could happen for authors is mm-hmm. Amazon becoming the only game in town, right. because that is when, like once they capture full market share, that's when everything is going to go downhill. And we might end up in that sort of, mm-hmm. no one writes books anymore future. Thing mm-hmm. that's pretty true and, and kind of dark, but, but, but unfortunately it seems in some ways inevitable, but we're pushing it off. We'll push it off as long as we possibly. Not, in, not inevitable, not inevitable, but heading there. But we're gonna we're gonna cut it off. We're gonna cut it off. Yes, Again, so. thanks so much for talking. I really appreciate speaking to someone who has, you know, put into the world such an incredible piece. And um, you know, I really, uh, really resonates with me this idea of the visceral and the the heart and the head. Obviously, you're very intellectual, very rational, but also there's so much of the the heart in the book that really, you know, obviously spoke to so many people, including myself. So. Thanks again and continue great luck with your writing. Thank you so much, Peter. This was a total pleasure. Take care. You take care. What a pleasure it has been to speak today with Sarah Thungam Matthews. Continue good luck to her with her writing, and I'm so looking forward to continue to follow her career and her important work. You can now subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. 
Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills of Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills of Will PO1, the digit one. Sign up now for the Chills of Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. Last name is R I E H L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. Go ahead and check it out. I'll wait. Just kidding. Go ahead and check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. This is indeed an independent DIY podcast. Please share the Chills of Will podcast with someone. Retweet episode links. Share episode links. Thank you so much for your support. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 199 with Jared Beloff. He is the author of Who Will Cradle Your Head and the Micro Chap, This Is How We Say I Love You. He is also a peer reviewer for the Whale Road Review, and his work has been nominated for the Best of the Net and the Pushcart Prize. This episode will air on August 15th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Sarah Thungum Matthews, whose work, like all this could be different, gives you chills at will. Mm-hmm.